Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. My special guest tonight is author, producer, and poet, Roger Augustine. She has written Out of No Way, a groundbreaking debut collection of dramatic poems about hair care entrepreneur, Madam C.J. Walker, and her daughter, Aaliyah. Welcome, Roger, to the program. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. I'm glad you're here. We're going to go on a journey tonight as you share with me your work. Again, I am so excited. Let me let me ask you a question to begin with. Sure. What is poetry? What is poetry to you? Oh, wow. That's a good question. That's a big question. Um, yes. I, would, I will have to say that poetry for me, and I'm, I'm quoting or borrowing from one of my favorite writers, E.B. White, who said that poetry is the greatest of the arts because it combines music, it combines painting, it combines storytelling, prophecy, and the dance. You know, it's religious in tone, it's scientific in attitude, and a true poem contains, like, the seeds of wonder. So poetry for me is a really high form of art because its restrictions and its boundaries force you to be really, really creative. It's not an easy thing to do. And I'm not saying that I'm necessarily the best poet out there. This is my first collection. But I really appreciate the restrictions that poetry that poetry um, enforces, if that makes any sense. It, it does make sense. What was an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power? When I first read Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven, which is probably my favorite poem of all time, one of my favorite poems. I was, I think, 10 or 11 years old, and it was an assignment that we had in school where every child had to memorize a poem. And all of the other shorter poems were taken, and one of the only ones that was left to choose from was The Raven, and it was really long, 108 lines long. And I thought, oh, gosh, I've got, I'm stuck with this one. But then I started to read it, and it just blew me away. And to this day, I remember most of the poem because, because it's so musical when you recite it. So that was the thing that hooked me on poetry. That was the poem. What, what about it blew you away? I want to know. Well, it had so much mood to it, and it told a story, it, it, and the, the mood and the darkness escalated as each stanza went on, and also the rhyming structure was really beautiful. You know, once upon a midnight dreary and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, you know, it just had this beautiful kind of, you know, rhythm to it that just made it stick in my head while also telling this dark kind of melancholy tale, you know? It was just magical to me. 
Wow. Now, we're going to move into the book in a second, but I want to ask you a question. Now, I believe when I've read that poem that it's very emotional. Do you think that Mm -hmm. someone can be called a poet if they don't feel strong emotions? If a person doesn't feel strong emotions or the poetry yes, doesn't? Yes, if the poet doesn't feel strong emotions, can you be called a poet? No, because I think a person who doesn't feel strong emotions can't write a poem, like wouldn't even think of writing a poem, or if they do, I, I'm not sure that poem would land very well. You know? All right, I mean, it depends, okay. But I think, yeah, emotion is, is, because poetry is intensity, you know, when you think about it, that's what it is. Unlike a a novel or an article or something, which you have, you know, a lot of space, a lot of words to kind of flesh out your your story or whatever it is you're trying to say. Poetry does it in in few words, and sometimes it's what's not said. So it's really it's intensity, and emotion is intense. So great question, by the way. Well, thank you very much. You know that brings us to your book because I'm sure it's about emotion. It has to be. It has to be about emotion. So tell it me, is. what, inspi- mm-hmm. <laughs> what mm-hmm. inspired your book? What inspired your book? Well, um, a couple of things inspired the book. Um, because I, I, I'm a writer, I'm a screenwriter, and a producer. And when this project first came about, what happened was I was actually developing a, a, a limited series about Madam C.J. Walker's life. Um, that I was hoping to pitch to Netflix. And my agent and I were sort of working on it together. And then one day my agent rang me and said, oh, you know, Roger, bad news. <laughs> the, the book um, about Madam C.J. Walker's life has been optioned already by Octavia Spencer and that a series about her life was already in pre-production. So I was pretty bummed about that, but also really, really happy because somebody was doing a show about her life, which I think was long overdue. So I had all of this material and I had done so much research. And so my agent said to me, look, why don't you take that material and all your work and translate it into a poetry book? Because at the time, poetry was sort of like in the zeitgeist and, and Ru, Ru, um, I think her name was Rumi or Rupi, Rupi Kapoor. Rupi, yes. Rumi, yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was sort of going gangbusters and poetry was like of the moment. So my agent was like, put it in a poetry book and we can try to sell. And the, my first response was, are you mad? <laughs> you know, why would I do that? <laughs> I, I'm not a poet. I never considered myself a poet. Although I appreciate poetry and love it and studied it at university, I never really sat down to try poetry much. Um, so at first I balked. I thought, no, I'm not doing that. But I'm someone who will try anything at least once. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? Let me go ahead and give it a try. I've got this material and I had, you know, nothing on, on like on my plate in terms of work at the time. So I said, fine, I'm going to dive in. And my first few attempts were terrible, 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 terrible. And I thought, oh, I can't do this. But then I came up with a structure, something, I just had a a flash of inspiration and I worked out, okay, I'm going to structure this book like, um, uh, oh God, a a, a acrostic, an acrostic structure, which I'll explain in a minute. Um, and once I worked out that structure, then the, the, the whole thing just flowed. Like it was just the greatest joy I had, you know, when, Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever heard when artists or creatives say, 
they've they've reached a state of flow in their work. It's yes. where it just you know it just flows through you. You just have ideas and it feels great. And every morning I was excited to get back to work. It just really flowed, and that's why I continued with the project. It wasn't even about selling it or making money. I just had such joy working on this book because I felt mm-hmm. like she channeled me. So acrostic is a particular structure in poetry where, let's say you take a word like mother, M-O-T-H-E-R, and each letter is the beginning of a sentence, right? So M, you start your sentence with the letter M, then the next sentence starts with the letter O, then the, you know, next with T-H-E-R. So that's an acrostic poem. But I structured the entire book as an acrostic work. And I don't know if you've seen a copy of the book, but each chapter, so each chapter begins, so the story is about mother-daughter. I wanted to explore the mother-daughter relationship. And so each chapter deals with an issue that was relevant to their lives. So, for example, chapter one is about money. They're poems that deal with money. Chapter two is about being an orphan because Madam C.J. Walker was orphaned when she was seven years old. Chapter three Mm -hmm. is about travel because she traveled across the country selling her, her, her products. Chapter four is about hair. Chapter five is about envy because I, I thought to myself there would have been some envy there with, you know, black women and hair, and we have yes, a very long yes. history about our hair. White hair was always the standard beauty you know, mm-hmm. thing, the standard of beauty. So envy, I thought, must have played a role somehow. And the, the fifth chapter is about resilience. So now when you put that together, that spells mother, M-O-T-H-E-R, money, orphan, oh, travel, oh. hair, envy, resilience. And then the second oh, I like part that. of the book. Yeah, in the second part of the book, you have daughter. So the first is that that chapter is death, then about the arts, then there's a an experimental chapter which begins with you. Then the following chapter is about generations, so the generations, the Walker legacy, but following one is about hatred, then transcendence, then education, and then regrets. And that's the daughter. So the whole wow. book is structured that way, and the poems for each chapter deal with that particular theme. If that, I hope that makes sense. I know it's a bit. It, it made perfect. It made perfect sense. Thank you so much, mm, Madam yes. C.J. Walker. Why her? Tell me more. Why did you choose oh her as your subject? Because she is such an inspiration. I first discovered Madam C.J. Walker when I was in my mid-20s. And when I did, I, my jaw dropped because I thought, why, was, why were we never taught about her in school? Yes. You know, it would yes. have been enormously inspiring as a young black girl to learn there was a woman like Madam C.J. Walker in our history, you know. But 
when I was growing up, everything was whitewashed. It was all white history. Mm -hmm. And anything you heard about black folks and black women was about slavery and how poor and downtrodden and Mm -hmm. beaten we were. And of course, that's an important, very negative. Yeah. And of course, that's an important part of our history. But there were people like Madam C.J. Walker working during Jim Crow America, making money, traveling the country. She was a powerful, powerful woman. And I was just blown away when I read about her. So she was the first historical figure that I came across that had such a positive story, such an inspirational story as a black woman in 19th century, or sorry, early 20th century America. That's why I chose her. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, Mm. audience... Listeners, without further ado, <laughs> Roger, please say a poem. Okay, so I'm going to first, I'm going to read what is the introduction of the book, but is also a poem, which explains the acrostic nature of the book. So this is how the book is introduced by a poem. Money was no doubt a driving force for Madam C.J. Walker, the orphan child and first freeborn in her family. It gave her motivation to travel the country and sell her range of hair care products to black women who likely envied the attention and praise of long, straight hair. Her resilience made her rich beyond her dreams and able to help others. Her death left Elelia a glamorous, the tragic heiress who became a patron of the arts and a goddess of the Harlem Renaissance. If you want to know more about it, you should read her great-granddaughter's forthcoming book about her, The Second Generation of the Walker Legacy, a legacy that came about despite racial hatred. Madam C.J. Walker and Alelia Walker are a testament to the power of transcendence. Let their story serve as an education for us all, regardless of race or gender, so that there may be no regrets in our final days. And that's the end. Hmm. So that's the introduction to the book. All right. All right. Please share another. I'm I'm engaged. Please share another. Okay. So the next one I will read is called uh, Graves and Thrones. This poem is a bit longer, and this poem is inspired by the raven because it is structured in the same meter as the raven, which is a very specific structure, very highly structured. So each stanza has a certain number of syllables and a certain number of words must rhyme. So I structured this poem, Graves and Thrones, after the Raven, and it's about um, Madam C.J. Walker and Alelia Walker, um, sort of, uh, I imagine them meeting while Madam C.J. Walker is sort of on her deathbed, right? So I always felt that Madam C.J. Walker and Alelia Walker, I know that they had sort of a strained relationship. Yes. Because she, you know, Madam C.J. Walker, she had to travel the country for years, for several years, and she she left her daughter behind a lot. And I was always intrigued by the impact that that would have had on their relationship. So I wrote this poem as a call and response kind of thing, Graves and Thrones, Act One. We are at Battle Creek Sanitarium, 27th of November, 1917. 
evening. The crackle and pop of a fire is heard. It is warm and imploring and telling of words like listen and care. The curtain rises. Before us is a suite that comprises a grave-like bed and a throne-like chair. Lilia, my precious child, I understand your thoughts run wild. But now that we are both reconciled, consult my tale to not bemoan. Finer in life you are, you see, unlike so many born unfree. Do not lament, could mother be. Could mother be is not known. Give thanks for what you are not, a motherless child without a home, nameless grave, nor empty throne. When my parents died so vainly, there was forged a space so plainly of undying incompleteness for which my soul could scarcely atone. I was but seven years old, remember, when faced with true terror at the sight of the grand view bearers, now orphaned and alone. Standing on that savage field, I now recall what it made known, scores of graves and ghostly thrones. Racked was I with grief and robbed, and mourning of the loss I sobbed, a long, brutal year's worth of tears for both to rebound as flesh and bone. Rarely a moment came my way of love or warmth that urged me stay, despite my dreams of whiter days, family round hearth, these well known. Sealed was my fate to be a penniless waif without a home born of graves and buried thrones. There I sank into a well so miserable, vulnerable, wholly unutterable, scraped and soiled like a neglected moonstone, made to feel an unperson, and seeing that my lot did worsen, I found my heart had coarsened, my lucent girlhood notions thrown, by merciless night shadows delivering the serpent's own wicked grave and shameful throne. All that was left was to self-destruct and to reconstruct an unyielding self that was stronger yet somber and rapidly grown. Uncertainty became my friend and fear a devil to transcend, become someone, a godsend, whom no one ever dared disown, a lady, a madam, with all the treasures my dreams had shown, neither grave nor buried throne. For what is damnation? but to seek from others validation. Inward was my diligence thrown, orphan to die and madam to hone. With hard work both day and night, I repaired my wounds and made things right. For us, I harnessed the sheer might of forebears whose wings had flown. And when I glimpsed within, a vision of gold that brightly shone, august grave and stately throne. Thus, my path became one of resilience, fierce independence, born upon the blackened ashes of grief and loss and a strong backbone. I resolved to be a problem solver, for I had you, my daughter, a child to safeguard from squalor, polished to a rich moonstone, and for me, an orphan's deep ambition to build my own home, my own grave, and my own throne." If I am cold to self-protection, take this not as rejection. Take it all with much self-reflection and see me as your stepping stone. 
left with a sister and four brothers. But how to be a mother? Forgive me this, my lips now utter. Mother remained unknown. For my travels on the road for which I left you much alone. Dig that grave. Bury that throne. Lelia, my only child, I understand your thoughts run wild. But now that we are both reconciled, consult my tale to not bemoan. Finer in life you are, you see. Unlike so many born unfree, do not lament. Could mother be? Could mother be is not known. Remember who you are, a blessed child with glorious homes, honored graves, and noble thrones. And that's the end of her voice. So that poem was my imagined um, sort of dialogue between Alelia and her mother about the impact of her life, her ambition, and her, you know, her business, her empire on the mother-daughter relationship. And I imagined that Alelia would have had some issues with, you know, what they went through, the, the separation, yes. the sudden, you know, going from poverty to wealth and and for for um, for Madam C.J. Walker to have grown up an orphan, to have been poor for most of her life, and to have found this grit inside of her to make, you know, so much money in the last 10 years of her life. So that poem was an imagined kind of dialogue between the two of, of Madam C.J. walking, sorry, Madam C.J. Walker telling her daughter, look, this is what I did for us. I know I was away a lot, and I know that you may have had issues with it, but, you know, this is why I did it. You know, when my parents died, I was orphaned, but at least you had me. I may have been away, you know, sort of like that. Obviously, it's it's all imagined. It's all speculation because there's not much written about their relationship. Um, So I sort of took creative license. So that was one half of it. And the other half is Alelia's voice. And if you want to hear that half, I'm happy to read that now as well. I'd love to. That first half was absolutely brilliant. I really, really enjoyed it. Let me ask you a question before we go into the second half, all right? Mm -hmm. Some poets claim that a poem is like a living creature. Once it's out there, there's not much you can do to correct or improve it, while others mm-hmm. edit meticulously, not leaving much from the original draft form. What is your take on it? On whether or not that's the case? Yes. Um, that's a great question. Did you do a lot of editing? Did you do a lot of editing? Because that's a long piece. Did you do a lot of editing to that particular part? I, You know, that's a great question. I actually didn't do as much editing as you would think. Um, Certainly not as much as I did for some of the other ones. This was the first poem that it's when I came up with this idea, and I was so happy with it. Look, it's not for everyone. Some people will like it, some won't, you know, and that's all right. But for me, I really loved it because it honored my favorite poem, which was The Raven, which which made me fall in love with poetry in the first place. And yes, because it's so specifically structured, finding the rhyme, you had to stick to your words, you know, like you had to, it wasn't something that you could, it wasn't a free flowing poem. So it wasn't something that I could necessarily edit in the way you would think. So 
because it's so specific, like the first sentence has to have 16 syllables and the eighth syllable mm. has to rhyme with the 16th syllable. Do you see what I mean? So mother, yes, I other. So I, I had to sit down and just find all these words that, that it, I can't explain it, but it was quite a process and it was the preparation that took the longest. But once I found the words, then the poem fell into place. So with this one, I didn't, I edited a little bit, but otherwise the words were locked in place, <laughs> you know. Fantastic. Now, please share the second part. I'd love to hear okay. it. Okay. So this is Act Two, coming from Alelia's perspective, and she's answering her mother. We are still at Battle Creek Sanitarium. 27th of November, 1917, evening. The maelstrom and rush of water is heard. It is cold and confronting and telling of words like temper and dread. The curtain rises. Before us is a suite that comprises a throne-like chair and a grave-like bed. Sarah, my earnest mother, who well provided like no other, for now that we are both reconciled, I heed your tale to not bemoan. Right you are that I not complain, nor point to you with any blame. Gratitude I give for the many gains your dreams have thus shown. But utter I must, could mother be? Mother went long unknown, distant grave and solemn throne. When my father died so suddenly, I was left so utterly terrified that I would, by the cruelties of life, be soon disowned. I was but a young girl, full of fright, when my young mind did ignite with such an innocent light that, our, that ours was now a fatherless home. And with you in grief, the attention I sought was little shown, father's grave and vacant throne. There followed many difficult years, many nights of secret tears, uprooting and moving and moving so often like leaves lost and blown. Tis true we did not quarrel much, t'was often we would sit, not touch, as if there was no attachment as such, like a missed milestone, an important foundational seed never properly sown as clawed to grave, gem to throne. My gravest was John Davis, from whom the Lord in time did save us. He spooked me with his rough, cruel hand, shifty eyes, and drunkard's baritone. Was then I hated life the most, wanted only to be a ghost. He would see just my ghost, not my mouth. Sorry, he would he would see just my ghost, not my mouth, my legs, nor private zone, but instead might treat me as my father had, a rare moonstone, born of earth and fixed in throne. During this time, I felt great shame and felt as well so much inflamed as though I was not sufficient enough nor favored to be well grown. No place to rest my feelings. T'was all consumed by your own healing, your song to be someone peeling, drowning out my undertone of pressures, perfections, and great expectations, all my own shallow grave and shameful throne. 
Yet still I learned to overcome, as not to be a girl undone, to follow your ambitious road of darkly glittering precious stones. Yet one problem you could not foresee, thorns of guilt inside of me, for many recoiled who thought me spoiled, your rich moonstone. I was born and ensconced in a world between orphan and throne, mournful grave and stately home. You talk of being orphaned, like only death can make an orphan. But what of your, not now I'm working, my being sent away from home. I understand more than you think, for from this well I also drink a bitter brew of hoodwink and living in motherless homes. You, who were hardly there, even while you were, must now atone for jilted graves and vacant thrones. Orphaned mother, lonesome child, the reason for my thoughts so wild? As I could have none of my own, may I adopted so we would be known for more than the wealth that left me torn, one side rose, one side thorn. Forgiveness, from which I am shorn, shows me now that heart is home, not Sarah Breedlove's grave, nor Madam C.J. Walker's throne. Heart is the seat of my throne. My dear, earnest mother, who well provided like no other, yes, now that we are both reconciled, I heed your tale to not bemoan. Right you are that I not complain, nor point to you with any blame. Gratitude I give for the many gains your dreams have thus shown. But whisper I must, could mother be? Mother remained unknown, shadow grave and lonely throne. That's the end. Exquisite. Exquisite. Thank you. Exquisite. What was the easiest part of writing Act Two? The easiest part of Act uh, Let me think here. Act Two. Um, there was no easy part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because my next question was, what's the most difficult part of writing Act Two? <laughs> oh, well, that was, oh, my God, I've got to do another 108 lines. <laughs> you know? Oh. Because like, oh. once I finished the first, sorry, the first part was 96 lines and then once right. I finished that I knew I had to do another 96 lines and then I you know the, the first part took a while um and having to to do to do it all over again that was you know a bit daunting um and I was worried that it wouldn't come through the first part it did but in the end it did um and uh, you know it it incorporated elements of her life. You know, for example, John Davis, I don't know if you know her story, but Madam C.J. Walker was married three times. Her first yes. died. Her first, she, she was married at 17 and he died um, by the time she was 20. She was a single mother. And then she married John Davis when Alelia was nine, I think. And um, he was an abusive alcoholic and there was a period of time when Alelia missed a lot of school and there was, you know, this kind of gap in her story when she was with John Davis. So the speculation is that he may have been abusive towards her. You know, no one really knows. Yes. But again, I took a bit of creative license. 
And if, you know, recall in one of the stanzas, she says, my gravest was John Davis from from whom the Lord in time did save us because um, Madam C.J. Walker, who was born Sarah Breedlove, eventually left him because he was abusive and just, you know, wasn't helping out. Um, And May Walker is a young girl that Alilia Walker adopted when she was in her um, late 20s because she couldn't have children. And May Walker is the reason that her legacy lives on because May then had children who then had children and the great-great-granddaughter of Madam C.J. Walker is the one who wrote the book that became the um, sort of source for my my work about Madam C.J. Walker. So Alelia Perry Bundles um, is the one who's responsible for bringing Madam C.J. Walker's story back into, you know, the mainstream and who carried that torch. So if Alelia hadn't have adopted May, we'd never know about her story the way we do today yes. because that's the only reason. Otherwise, it would have died with Alelia Walker. So wow. that's also incorporated in, in, this, in the poem and throughout the book. You mm-hmm. know, their history is, is sort of, you know, that's, that's obviously the source for, for all of this. So, yeah, Let's that's take it. A, <laughs> all right. Let's take a brief break and we'll be right back. Okay, fabulous. Michael Anthony Ingram. I'm here with Roger Augustine. Are you ready to share another poem? <laughs> Are you I exhausted? Am. No, no, I'm ready. Share if another poem. Okay, if you're ready to listen, I'm ready to share. Okay, so the next I'm ready poem, to listen. Okay, fabulous. The next poem is from the chapter that deals with hair. And this chapter was written as a series of, of haikus which I call hair coups because they're all about <laughs> hair. And they're strung together to make a full poem. So the first one is from Sarah's perspective. And Sarah, of course, is Madam C.J. Walker. And it be, it's, it's called Sarah's Hair. My hair was young and free. Mama's fingers danced through curls, tat braids with ribbons, Sunday she was gone, no longer here to plait hair by the morning light. Caught shadows of me, my hair is not unruly, just thinks for itself. Mister on his horse, head wraps dot like strange cotton in the August heat. Soft hairs are like flames, lit only by Gibson's girl. My envy burns there. Long work at the tubs. 
no point to check a mirror to Negro women. St. Louis mirror, my panicked heart goes racing, hair fall and ball patch. Searching everywhere for a cure to grow it back, I try everything. Then comes the woman with a business of her own, growing Negro hair. She is Miss Annie. I learn everything I can to be just like her. Part the hair in fours. Mix the ingredients well. Massage into scalp. Repeat. Repeat some more. Using Poro cream, I quickly see a new scheme. There begins my dream. Work bore little fruit until I woke from dreaming of African roots. Filled my room with fumes, packets of strange and dark herbs. Grew my own hair back. Natural hair growth gives the promise of freedom ever in my name. Lifting as I climb with the only thing I can, my God-given hair. That's the end. Oh, wow. Has a poem that you've written ever frightened or humbled you in your book? Um, the only, well, um, frightened me. The poem, you know what, that's a great question. If there is a poem that frightens me, if that's, you know, possible, I think yes. so, yes. it would be a poem called Arithmetic. Hmm. Because that deals with the chapter on education and how education was a very big, you know, an important factor in their lives. Um, you know, Madam C.J. Walker taught herself to read and education was important for her daughter. She sent her away to school. So I have a chapter that that um, focuses on education and the meaning it had in their lives. And so one of the poems is called Arithmetic, which is written like, I don't know if you remember in school when you had these um, these arithmetic problems where it was something like, you know, if so-and-so, you know, had six, you know, six apples and cut an apple in half. I hate those. I hate those. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I hate those. So, I heard you bringing a flashback that I don't like. Yeah, PTSD. That's right. <laughs> so that's the one, yeah, because I was terrible at math. So yes. one of the poems that I wrote, um, if I'll read, I'll read one now to give you an example. Um, it says, okay, Minerva was Madam C.J. Walker's mother. That was her name. So this first one is, Minerva picked six acres of cotton in one day. At this rate, how long will it take her to pick 21 acres of cotton? <laughs> and then I have the answers. Is it three days, four days, three and a half days, or four and three-quarter days? Right? Second one is Owen, who was her father, Madam C.J. Walker's father. Owen, a Negro slave, with one score in 10 years, costs $360. As time goes on and Owen ages, his value depreciates by $45 per year. What is the value of Owen after nine years? And then, you know, you have your choices, $405, $45, minus $45, or $4.05. So that home, if there's one that did frighten me, that would have been yes. that series of poems would have been it. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> what is the answer to the question? Which which one? Which one is it? Four dollars and five cents. 
Which oh. one in terms of <laughs> Oh that one Is there an answer? Let me see. There is an answer. There is an answer. Let me let me find it. I think that answer is let's see here. Oh, now of course I've lost it. Here it is. So the answer to that one would have been um I think it's okay, so by forty five after nine years the value depreciate. What is the value of Owen after nine years? So I think it's I think it's four dollars and five cents. <laughs> it might be forty five. Forty five dollars. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> the whole series of poems like that. Yes. Look, it sounds it, it, like it, the titles. <laughs> it sounds mm-hmm. like the titles of your pro, of your poems are really detailed. That's what it sounds like. They what are, role yeah. should the title of a poem play in your book? What role should the title of a poem play in poetry? Um, I think it should give you a sense of what you're about to read. You know, it should wet your whistle. So, you know, ooh, this is about, you know, like the raven, for example. It's about this ominous bird, you know, and when we think of ravens, we think of, you know, we think maybe of evil, of darkness, of omens. And so I think titles play play that important role so that it intrigues you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You know, we've talked about Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. All great writers have great writing influences, and he sounds like one of yours. Who else mm-hmm. has been a writing influence for you? Oh, gosh. My God. Um, oh, there's E.B. White. There's Maya Angelou. Uh, James Baldwin, although he didn't write poetry, but his writing is mm-hmm. just amazing to me. He's he's the, the, the gold standard for me. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert is another amazing poet. Um, and um, I, I really, I studied a lot of the classic poems. So, you know, John Donne and Wordsworth and, and Poe and um, Marlowe. And so I have a real appreciation for the technique that those poets employed. Poetry today is very different. It's more free flowing. Yes. And, and while I love a lot of it, um, I, I, I tend to lean towards more structured poetry um, and rhyming poets. Another is Langston Hughes, County Cullen. Oh, County Cullen is amazing. Langston, I mean, I, yeah, they're, they're just, for me, the, of, of poets, they're the gold standard. Maya Angelou, Langston Hughes, County Cullen, Elizabeth Gilbert, and Allan Poe. They're my big inspiration. All right. All right. Very nice. Very nice. You know, as you think about writing, writing your book, mm-hmm. how long did it take? How long did it take? This book took about eight months to write. Wow. So, yeah, I think, I don't know if that's quick or, or not. I, I'm not sure, you know, what other poets' processes are. Some, poem, some poems came to me more quickly than others. But, yeah, altogether, mm-hmm. by the time I was done, it was eight months. Mm. Wow. What do you mm-hmm. think you learned about yourself writing this book? What did you learn about you? Um, great question. Uh, I learned that I love to write poetry. <laughs> and that all right, I, all right. I, I maybe have, you know, some, I never considered myself a poet, but after writing this, I thought, oh, you know, I, I really enjoy this, and, and maybe this is something that I will continue to do, you know, and explore. So I learned about the poet in me. 
which I didn't know existed before. All right. Please share another poem. Sure. So let's see. I'm going to read one called Elegy for My Mother. Now, just to give you a little context, Madam C.J. Walker um, died in 1919. She fell really ill uh, probably weeks before her death. Um, She had uh, really high blood pressure and her kidneys started to fail. She she settled at home and was bedridden, but while this while she was bedridden, Amelia had been traveling by sea on a mission, I think, to the Caribbean to to you know um, maintain the the kind of Walker teaching because they they had these teaching schools that they set up in different parts of America and also in the Caribbean and Haiti, and she was away at sea on a vessel when she got word that her mother was ill and to please hurry home. So she tried as hard as she could to get home. But when she was at one port, it was it was delayed for cargo. So it was like two weeks delayed or something. And she was desperately trying to get back home. In the end, she didn't make it back in time before oh, wow. her mother died. And I imagine that that would have been so devastating to not have been mm-hmm. there at her mother's bedside when she died, though she tried. So this poem is written from Elelia's perspective on the ship, knowing that her mother is dying and trying to get to her. So it's called Elegy from My Mother, 24th of May, 1919. Mother, from the ship, I dream of you mid-ocean. You appear in the bosom of spring. The buds around you are warm. The land awakens from winter sleep. Your ghost springs forth just like this, bare hands, bare feet, eternal life that is light and warm forever. Near to your heart, a phoenix soars across the blue skies. A journey beckons like a beguiling snake. You worship its fruit. The life of a seller is given to her buyer at love's expense. For you, It will be the first night unlike yourself, a night of reapers and truth. The hidden parts of your soul give in. The scope of your heart is full. Laughter surrenders in you. The stillness of your thoughts succeeds, and you stay your enemies. Tomorrow, you will walk through the garden. You will be poised under a familiar coldness to lose your grief out in the cities and be praised over and over again. The shadows of your grieving heart are drawn from the blood of your veins. In the small silences of today, where the mourners weep, angels in the temple of heaven know that I, who have been left behind, carry the mighty weight of repentance above all. Water, give up your tortured waif. Madam C.J. Walker has died, while I on this, le- on this vessel cry, taking refuge in the cradle of your legacy. The dream of light, the angels of heaven, the eternal seas, all revealed in love. Tomorrow, we will walk through the garden. We will be poised under familiar coldness to lose our grief out in the cities and be praised over and over again. The life of a brave woman 
is rooted in the soil of her death. And that's the end. Wow. Mm. You know, as you think about Madam C.J. Walker's life and Aaliyah's life, what surprised you most? Anything surprised you? About their life? Um, yes. What surprised me most is that she was able, Madam C.J. Walker was able to accomplish so much in a short period of time. So 10 years, she didn't start selling her products until she was in her late 30s. I think she was 37, 38. So she had all that time before of just earning a $1.25 a day, mm. you know, if that. Mm-hmm. That was the most that she earned. And the other thing that surprised me is that she was able to do all of this during one of the most tumultuous, racially divided periods in American history, because this was the age of Jim Crow. This was the age of lynchings, where people were lynched with, you know, and, and, and you know, black people were lynched, and no one was ever brought to justice for it. The government, the yes. authorities did not care. And she traveled mm-hmm. across the country with all these dangers, and she made it safely to and from wherever she was going as far as we know, and did, and, and, you know, and built up a really successful business. And I was just, you know, blown away by that. Anything with mm. Aaliyah? Anything surprise you? Um, yes. The other thing that surprised me with Aaliyah is that she, you know, she was very much in the shadow of her mother, and mm-hmm. though she tried to join the business, and she did join the business and help her mother run some of their headquarters, she she she, she never seemed to me to have the same sort of um, what's the word the same sort of backbone that her mother did. You know, she never right. she never quite yeah had the drive that her mother did, and I think that's because by the time she was fourteen, they were already starting to make money. So she went from being, you know, de- like almost destitute to being really yes. wealthy. And that sudden newfound wealth had an impact on her. And, and she was described by um, her contemporaries as being a bit spoiled, you know. She was mm-hmm. she was a bit you – know, and, and, I, and I just, you know, like I, I try to imagine a black woman. She was very tall. Back in you know the early 1900s, to have enough money that you could be spoiled, <laughs> you know, and just go shop oh. till, till you drop, you know what I mean? Like that's just, <laughs> such an, just an image. And she was also the one responsible. She was a real patron of the arts in the Harlem Renaissance. You know, the Harlem Renaissance yes. happened largely because of her sponsorship, and she held these parties that at, in a in her in her um. They, they bought this beautiful building on 125th Street or 135th Street in Harlem. And the bottom level was the hairdresser. She had this really beautifully done, very high-end you know, hair salon. And the upper floors were her residence. And the top floor, she called it the Dark Tower. And she held these salons, these parties, with all of the who's who artists of the day. So people like mm. Langston Hughes and County Colin and Zora Neale Hurston, they frequented her parties and they gave poetry readings and played music and she served food and they were the parties to be at. And often, you know, when you read about them, 
maybe like, you know, 100 people in, in this in this space. You know, it was it was the talk of Harlem. You know, she really was the goddess of, of Harlem. And so that was another oh, wow. thing that when I learned about it, I was really surprised because, you know, like I said, Langston Hughes and Zora, Zora Neale Hurston and County Cullen, they were all her contemporaries and they were all there. They all knew her. So mm-hmm. that was a really big, you know, piece of inspiration for me in terms of, of writing the, the poems and telling her story. You know, we've almost reached the end of our journey together. Would you mind okay. sharing one more piece before we go? Sure. I got a couple more questions, but just one more poem mm-hmm. for us. Okay, this one will be a short one. It's called um, Why Our Hair Is Not Straight. And it's also oh, I want to hear that one. Haikus. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so Why Our Hair Is Not Straight. This is a series of haikus. Okay. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No, we curl with laughter. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No, we twist into song. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No, we bend in prayer. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No, we wave and frizz on. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No, we curve while dancing. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No, we swirl with high hopes. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No, we circle like crowns. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No, we braid and we cope. Our hair is not straight because we are not straight. No. Ask God up above. She will tell you. Their hair is not straight because they are not straight. No. They coil in my love. And that's the end. Oh, I love it. I love it. Mm, Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You've written a tremendous book. What Thank piece you. of advice would you give to your readers? What piece of advice would you give to them as they go through your work, the poet, poetic drama? What advice would you give them? I would say um, if they're reading this book out of no way to um, first get a really good sense of her story because some of the references in the poems may be confusing or not confusing. They may not know what I'm talking about, like knowing who May was or John Davis, you know, or that she traveled and and sold her wares all across the country. So that would be a one way. But then again, this book was written to tell her story, but through poetic verse. And there is an introduction that, that gives a summary of, you know, of her life. So I would advise people to get to know Madam C.J. Walker and Lily Walker. Their story is truly amazing and inspiring. And the other thing I will say, too, um, is this book, when I wrote it, as I was going through it, I had decided halfway through writing it that I wanted to, I want to turn it into a stage production, which is why, oh, wow. you know, one of the poems, it begins act one, act two, the curtain rises. So I envision this ultimately, you know, sometime in the future to turn it into some sort of stage production or even slash musical. And this book will serve as the book for that production because Oh, it's all, you know, that is written. nice. Oh, where can where can readers find your work? Where can they find this book? On Amazon, it's available on Amazon. Um, you can get a print copy or a, an ebook. Um, 
because I published it from Australia, there aren't any um, retailers where you can pick up the book, a physical copy, but you can get a paperback and a hardback is going to be coming out shortly, but the paperback is available as well as um, an ebook version. All right. The the cover is beautiful. I really like Thank the cover you. of the book. Thank How you. How can readers stay in touch with you, Roger? Well, there's my Instagram account, Roger Augustine. Um, there's also my website, which is, um, well, actually, my website is under construction now. I had to redo it, but that will be up soon. But the best way, I think, is to either get in touch with me through Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or on my website, which is breaknightfilms.com. Oh, wow. Well, I want to thank you for sharing your work with us. I learned so much. You're an amazing writer. I wish you you nothing but the best as you continue your journey. Um, Thank you. I've got a I've got a big smile on my face uh, because I'm oh, just so thrilled so and, and <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad. Well, it's the end of our time. I want to thank the listeners as I share with you every week. Let poetry ring somewhere throughout oh. the land. Uh, thank you so much. Good night, everybody. Michael. It's been a joy to be here. Thank you. Oh, oh, you made me blush. All right. (laughs) Take care, good people. Until next time, let poetry ring. Bye. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And... Make sure to catch our next episode.